The longest inaugural address was given by William Henry Harrison in 1841. He delivered a two-hour, 9,000-word speech into the teeth of a freezing northeast wind. He came down with a cold the following day, and a month later, he died of pneumonia. <laughs> I was uh, talking with my um, second-born son, who has a Ph.D. in history, and uh, his quote was, Dad, I guess you could say that he talked himself to death. The shortest inaugural address was George Washington, just 135 words. And speaking about brief, then we have President Calvin Coolidge. Uh, he was well known for his brevity of speech. Uh, some considered it a challenge actually to get him to talk. Uh, so one lady at a White House uh, dinner uh, said, Mr. President, I've made a bet that I can get you to say at least three words. He looked at her and said, you lose. <laughs> We've just heard about three presidents and um, three proclamations, if you will, or three statements. We are now about to hear from three angels who each will make a proclamation. Uh, turn with me, please, uh, in your Bible, Revelation chapter 14. As you're turning there, what can you learn from three angels who preach on the fly? <laughs> okay, that's our question for today. Revelation 14, I'll begin reading uh, down in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night who worshiped a beast in his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the inspired Word of God, for the beautiful book of Revelation, for all that we have learned up to this point, and by your grace, what we'll continue to learn. We thank you for the proclamations that are made. Help us to learn from each one. And Lord, help us to glean even eternal truths that you would have us to apply even to our lives now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
proclamation number one. Worship the true God. We see this in chapter 14, 6 through 7. We have a new vision uh, introduced by some familiar words, Kai, Adon. We saw those words uh, in the beginning of the chapter, then I looked. Uh, we'll see them again uh, later on in chapter 14, verse 14, then I looked. The idea, a new vision is giving. Another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Uh, there's uh, some... Uh, discussion on whether the word another here is original. Uh, many of the Greek manuscripts have it, and quite honestly, about an equal amount don't. Uh, so we're not sure, but there was an angel back in chapter 8 and verse 13 who was flying in the heavens, and there he was preaching uh, judgment. He talked about the fifth, sixth, and seventh uh, trumpet judgments, uh, the three woes that we saw back then. There's a contrast because here it's a different message, not one of judgment, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. The everlasting gospel. Now I want to draw your attention to the word here, dwell, because it can seem like there's something wrong. Because why would an angel be preaching to the earth dwellers? Remember the earth dwellers, the technical term, kat oikeo. Uh, the kata, the preposition, is an intensifier. Oikeo is to dwell, the idea of being on the earth. The individuals who say, this earth is my home, period, and want nothing to do with the true God. Uh, may I say that the majority of Greek manuscripts here uh, has the words to those who sit on the earth. I, I think that's more reflective of what's going on here in the book of Revelation. The idea is as we're ending the tribulation, apparently there are some who have not either made the decision for Christ or the Antichrist. It's to those individuals who are still on the earth that the gospel is now being preached, that they might put their faith in Christ and reject the message of the Antichrist. That seems to be who's addressed here. The gospel, uh, the term that occurs 77 times from the Greek New Testament, euangelion, the good news. And uh, the, the tr reality is if the individuals who have not made a decision for the Antichrist, right, by receiving the mark of the beast, the 666, if they don't believe on Christ, they will be separated from his presence forever. The message here is broad in the sense it's for everyone. It's given to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people looks like a last warning but yet god's heart has never changed he desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth the angel is preaching the everlasting gospel the good news of christ coming then his death his burial and his resurrection and now that is going globally how do we know that verse 7 saying with a loud voice for all to hear. We have two imperatives, two commands. The first is fear, fear God. And the second is give, give glory 
to him. In other words, don't give your allegiance to the Antichrist, but fear the true God and give him the glory that he is worthy of. Now, some will accept this message and others will reject it. Um, come with me to Revelation chapter 15, please. Let's first of all talk about the ones who will respond positively to the message. Chapter 15, begin with me please in Revelation 15 verse 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have, and notice the terminology here, the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So, we will have those who will have victory over the beast by putting their faith in Christ, but then others will reject the message of the angel flying as they had rejected the message of the 144,000 witnesses, remember from Revelation 7, as they have rejected the message of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, now they will continue their hard-heartedness. Uh, come forward one more chapter. We were just in Revelation 15. Come to chapter 16 with me. Over in chapter 16, as we've come now into the bowl judgments, notice in verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed. See, there's no receptivity here. They blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Also in 1611, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. And then finally down in uh, chapter 16, verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So, the angel is preaching, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Robert Thomas writes, this is the very last chance to change allegiance to the God of heaven. The message continues, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. The entirety of creation is here described. And since God has made everything and everyone, he has the right to judge everything and everyone. And we see that. So now we're transitioning from the first proclamation to the second proclamation. Watch out, Babylon. Judgment is coming. We see this in chapter 14, verse 8. Watch out, Babylon. Judgment is coming. 
Verse 8, and another angel. This is Alas, another of the same kind. The second angel is like the first angel, if you will. Notice here the message. Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city. The message here is, if you will, proleptic. Uh, to receive beforehand. We do not have the destruction of Babylon until chapters 17 and 18, but there's a sense, there's a taste of this already being done, and that is what we have before us. And why will Babylon be destroyed? Because she has made all nations, notice the global impact, all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. How does a nation fornicate with the world? I think the connection that we're going to see is through financial means. And we'll wait till we get to chapters 17 and 18 to see that. But the fornication is broad and something that is emphasized. So just for the moment to see this, come over to chapter 17 with me. This will introduce what we'll, we'll study in, in several weeks. Revelation 17, verse 1. Let's pick up on this word fornication. The idea of the harlot Babylon. 17.1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. And then just continuing here, verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. There's our, our theme. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication now down to 17 verse 5 chapter 17 verse 5 and on her forehead a name was written mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth and then over to chapter 18 let your eyes come down to verse 3 for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Just one more reference. 18.9. Revelation 18 down in verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. So our second proclamation, watch out Babylon, judgment is coming, and it is. And now our third proclamation, and we derive this from chapter 14, 9 through 11, worshiping the beast leads to eternal damnation. Yes, worshiping the beast leads to eternal damnation damnation verse 9 then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice notice this is uh, the third angel now and also the proclamation is global heard with a loud voice everyone will hear this and it's a first class condition um, that we have in verse 9 if if assuming something to be true. If anyone worships the beast and his image, the assumption is there are those who will. Um, this here, 
reference to the beast is the sea beast. Remember back in chapter 13, verse 1, the Antichrist, and his image would be the abomination of desolation, the idol that was made that came to life. So if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark, remember the identification, 666, on his forehead or on his hand, uh, when you receive the mark, they are sealing their fate. It's showing that they are totally sold out to the Antichrist and have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an individual choice that is made and an accountability that occurs because notice carefully the words in verse 10, he himself. See, the individual himself who makes this choice is going to receive eternal damnation. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. It's a serious uh, statement here. To reject the everlasting gospel is to embrace eternal damnation. And then the wrath of God is described here, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Uh, the Greek term here, full strength, only appears here uh, from the Greek New Testament. Literally, it means without mixture, if you will, without diluting it. The concept is that God's wrath will be fully poured out. It will not be watered down on those who make the choice to receive the mark of the beast. Notice here, as we continue in verse 10, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Uh, let me just uh, draw your attention to the word tormented here. And uh, we've seen this before. Just to draw out uh, the torment, uh, turn back to chapter 9, Revelation chapter 9, coming down to verse 5. We'll look at 5 and 6, picking up on the word torment. This is concerning the demon locust. And they were not given authority to kill them. In other words, the demon locusts could not kill the people, the inhabitants of the earth, but to torment them for five months, that traditional time of pillaging of locusts, by the way, their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. How bad is it? Verse 6, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. This term, tormented, uh, occurs 12 times from the Greek New Testament. So here was an example. The very last use of the word is found in Revelation chapter 20. Why don't you turn here with me? Revelation chapter 20, down in verse 10. Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be, here's our term, tormented day and night forever and ever. Serious stuff. To reject the Messiah, to reject 
the everlasting gospel is to take to yourself judgment and eternal separation from God. They will experience, those who reject the Lord, fire and brimstone as we see back here in verse 10 of chapter 14. Fire and brimstone, and when you look up the references to the lake of fire, many would call it hell. Revelation 19, 20, 20, 10, we've just seen, and 21, 8 make reference to fire and brimstone. And then it goes on to say, that they'll be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What do the holy angels have to do with these individuals who reject Christ? And that's a great question. They will be instrumental in going globally around the world and bringing those who have rejected Christ to a place of judgment. In Matthew 13... 41 and 42, we don't need to turn here, but also Matthew 25, 31 and 32, we see that the angels are dispatched by the Lord to bring these people to him for judgment. And may I just point out to you just something interesting, the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. When we have the rapture, Christ himself meets us in the air. Before the tribulation, Christ comes back for the church. But it's a personal meeting. But then when you have the second coming, the Lord Jesus will dispatch his angels to gather those who have rejected him. An idea of this judgment that is coming uh, is found in 2 Thessalonians. So would you turn with me there? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And as you're turning to 2 Thessalonians 1, just be reminded that these saints were persecuted. Back in uh, chapter 1 of the first book, we see that they were persecuted, yet they had great joy in the midst of their persecution. Paul is encouraging the saints to let them know that their persecutors one day will receive the wrath of God. Notice in verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angel. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the unbelievers. Verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. So, although the angels gather up the unbelievers, and yes, they will stand before Jesus Christ, uh, they, the unsaved, will be banished from the presence of the Lord. And I want you to see back here in Revelation 14 and verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever 
and ever. The idea is they will experience the eternal wrath of God. When Christ comes back uh, the second time, he will dispense judgment. But I want you to see, it's interesting, over in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. In chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation, Babylon is destroyed. And then the Hallelujah Choir uh, comes forth with um, songs of worship. But just take a look for one sec here with me. Revelation 19, down in verse 3. And they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up. See, how long? Forever and ever. The idea is that the wicked, when they are punished, will be in that continual state of torment forever. There is no annihilation. It's not as if at the judgment people go poof and they're just gone. No, they will have conscious misery forever and ever and ever. And that's so clearly what the Bible teaches. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. This is back in chapter 14 and verse 11. And they have no rest, notice here, day or night. See, it's perpetual torment. Who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Clearly, whoever takes to himself or herself the mark of the beast, saying, I'm giving my allegiance to the Antichrist, will receive in full measure the wrath of God forever and ever. Now, coming down here in verses 12 and 13, as we begin to wrap up our study, we have the author, John, who uh, gives us a proclamation, if you will. This doesn't come from an angel. So notice in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Charles Ryrie writes about this. In the midst of their persecution by the beast, they will be helped to endure by remembering that ultimately the beast and all his followers will have to endure the eternal punishment described in verses 10 and 11. In other words, what Charles Ryrie is pointing out is take heart, saints, those tribulation saints, your persecutors, they're going to get what's coming to them. So just stay focused on the Lord. Verse 13 then I heard a voice from heaven saying, and up to this point, there have been four previous accounts of a voice from heaven. Chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 10, verse 8. Chapter 11, verse 12. And in chapter 14, and verse 2. It's going to happen two more times subsequently. Chapter uh, 18, verse 4, and 21, 3. The idea is when you get the voice from heaven there is an important announcement being made. And here is that important announcement. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Observe the word blessed. Makarios is the Greek term. This is the second of seven uses in the book of Revelation. 
Uh, we saw it first back in chapter 1 in verse 3. There's a blessing that goes with those who read and act upon the book of Revelation, what they learn. Then here the second time in 14, 13. Then we'll have the third, 16, 15, 19, 9, 26, 22, 7. And then the seventh blessing, 22, 14. Observe the words here from now on. There is a special blessing that is extended to the saints in the tribulation, particularly those that will be martyred for their faith. That's what's being addressed here. So take heart. You're going to be blessed, even if it means being killed for identifying with Christ and rejecting the Antichrist, it's worth it. That's exactly what is being written here. Yes, says the Spirit. See, here's your divine confirmation that they may rest from their labors. So to be martyred means that you enter the presence of the Lord and you rest from your labors. This is a contrast Back to chapter 14 and verse 11. That those who reject the Lord will be tormented forever and ever, day and night. To the saints, there will be a rest, which carries the idea of refreshment. And that has to happen when you're in the presence of the Lord. Having now observed three angelic proclamations... And then one announcement, if you will, from our author, John. We now have today's main point. Here it is. Worship and serve Jesus until death and refreshment and reward will follow. Let me say that one more time. Worship and serve Jesus until death and refreshment and reward will follow. Notice the very last statement made down in verse 13 about those who will be martyred for the faith and their works follow them. May I ask you, what are you doing that will follow you to heaven? What are the works that you are embracing that the Lord has taken note of that you'll be rewarded for in the future? Very important. We have been saved, child of God, in order that we might serve our Lord. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. The writer of Hebrews makes this tremendous statement, and often when I'm writing a card to someone, trying to give them a note of encouragement, I'll put down the reference, Hebrews 6. Why? To encourage saints. This is what it says. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. In essence, when we faithfully serve the Lord, he records everything we do for him. And there will come that time when the eternal rewards will come. See, they will follow. And we need to take heart in that. Are you posturing your life in such a way that your works will follow you?
I came upon the story of Les Paul. Uh, he was known as the architect of rock and roll and also for inventing the solid body electric guitar. Let me just read you a couple of paragraphs about his life. In 1948, Paul's passion for the guitar almost came to a tragic end. While driving on a bridge in Oklahoma, his car skidded off into a river. His arm was shattered. Doctors told Paul they could save his arm, but he would never play the guitar again. Paul gave the surgeons a suggestion. Could they set his arm at a slightly less than 90 degree angle so he could still cradle his guitar? That's what they did. So, for the rest of his life, Les Paul could not throw, reach, or raise his right arm. It didn't matter to him. He could play the guitar. Maybe we should ask the Lord to remold us and set us that all we can do is fulfill our passion to serve him. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Child of God, would you put your life in a position Kind of get your arms set, if you will, your mindset arranged in order that you might serve the Lord for length of days. That one day the works will follow you. Remember, worship and serve Jesus until death and refreshment and reward will follow you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the angelic proclamations we thank you for John's words of wisdom that follow. So help us, Lord God, to arrange our lives in such a manner that one day, because we have served you well, when we step into your presence, if you will, our works will have followed us. And we can hear from your lips the pleasure with our lives and reward us accordingly. Oh Lord, there's a world system out here that's opposed to everything that is Christian, characterized by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. May we practice our co-crucifixion with Christ and embrace you and serve you. And may the rewards follow. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.